Dr. Bowen, thanks so much for, for being here today. This has been a, a long process. This is the first ever Kentucky Wesleyan College video podcast. Uh, so excited to have you here. Thank you. Today. Glad to be here. It's been a long road to get here. Yes. <laughs> um, this is something I wanted to start early on in the fall semester. And uh, if you could just, could you um, tell us who's behind the camera and talk a little bit about the process to, to get here? Yeah. So, you know, this has been a, a nature of love, right? I mean, you spend a lot of time and energy on the things that you, you really want to see come to fruition. And this has been one of those pet projects uh, that, that we've been a part of since the start of the semester. And, um, you know, we've got uh, CART 314 uh, video production, desktop video, uh, the students that are helping us out in this in this class. Uh, we've got Kobe, who's our director and, and uh, tech director on the switcher. Andy's kind of our floor manager and tech director. Um, we've got uh, Turner, who's helping us with time and sort of back timing and things like that. Uh, Max and Clay and, and Nate have all helped up with setting up the cameras and the lights. And, you know, I think something maybe... A lot of people don't don't know coming into a, a production like this is the amount of work that goes behind the scenes. You know, I mean, we're talking, you know, the cameras to the lights to to the audio, all of that. Um, it, it really is a huge effort of, of people behind the scenes. And that's one of the things that I love teaching, um, you know, video and audio production is we'll get some students that come in and, you know, they want to be the DJ on the air. They want to be the news anchor. And then they get a taste of directing or you know camera switching and things and it's like oh no I, I love the behind the scenes work and, and that's just really neat to be able to have those opportunities for students to be a part of these types of productions yeah that's impressive from some from my perspective someone who's a habitual podcast listener and I'll I'll see him on YouTube every once in a while to see how much goes on behind the scenes and how intricate of a process and and I want to make clear that I was involved in none of the, the setup. I would come in and say, I like the blue lights. Right, exactly. Uh, these are purple lights. Um, but, but very impressive. Uh, so really the purpose of this podcast is to, you know, um, talk to professors here at Kentucky Wesleyan College and other thought leaders in higher education. Um, that's, that's really it. Uh, and uh, you've been a professor here for a couple of years now. Could you start by talking about the CART program specifically and what you try to achieve in that program and, and some of what goes on some of your courses? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I am program coordinator of the communication arts program here at Kentucky Wesleyan, and um, it is designed for students that are really interested in media and mediated messages. So we have two emphases that students can choose from media studies or public relations and advertising. And um, while those work hand in hand, they do very distinct things. And, and so students are on different tracks. They take different courses outside of the communication arts core that really specialize on, you know, for media studies, it's writing and producing of mediated messages. So it's understanding how to edit audio, how to edit video, what it takes to write a script. And, and you know, I think, again, a lot of people assume if you're on the news or you're a DJ, you're just sort of making things up as you go. And, and there's a lot of behind the scenes work in, in script writing and uh, understanding what you're going to say before you say it. Uh, for public relations and advertising, it's a lot of knowing your audience and knowing how to target specific messages for your audience. And, and so uh, we do a lot of, of study on audience research, uh, consumer behavior and things like that, which, which really emphasizes, um, you know, taking a look at different, uh, publics, we use that term a lot in public relations in particular, uh, and how you write those messages to target specific publics. Yeah. I mean, communications is really such a broad discipline, and you have a broad background in, in obviously audio and video production. 
and uh, sort of theories in communication yeah. too. And your work really spans the gamut there. Um, did you start with an, an interest in sort of broadcast journalism or how did you come into? Yeah, I, I really wanted to go into sports broadcasting. Um, from an early age, I realized I like sports. I just can't play them. <laughs> and um, the other caveat was I always got marked up for talking too much in school. Imagine that, right? <laughs> so I thought, how could I marry my love of, of sports and, and this idea of talking and, and get paid to do it? Um, and so my undergrad was in radio, TV, broadcasting, really looking at opportunities to do sports. And so I did that as an undergrad student. And I think a lot of people have that same sort of passion story, Absolutely. right? I mean, you, you, you see, you, know, you grew up watching ESPN, or in, in my case, it was, uh, I think it was 610 WIP, Sports yeah. Radio in Philadelphia. And uh, you sort of envision yourself in that role because you see, you know, I grew up in that era of, you know, these I mean, Charles Barkley and, yeah. you know, Dr. J and whatever. And I <laughs> probably couldn't play at that level, but I could see myself in, you know, surrounded by sports, which is what you want to do. So it's, I can imagine it, it, it is a highly competitive field. Oh man, it is so competitive, you know, and, and there's, there's so many different angles now. And I think the advent of the internet and, and mobile technology has really opened up more possibilities, um, you know, because there's everything from sports play by play, which is what I wanted to do was to go in and be the voice of, of Major League Baseball. Um, that, that's my passion. Um, but, you know, you've got journalism, you've got video blogs, you've got podcasts now. There's just a lot of different areas to get into sports talk and, and, and sports entertainment, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I want to I talk about baseball okay. in, in a second. But the, <laughs> the, the audio production side, yeah. obviously, you know, and, and the benefit of having you as, as my first guest here is that you can direct while you're my guest. It's, <laughs> and it's an an intricate dance mm -hmm. that you do. I mean, between the camera angles yeah. and obviously the audio levels and a lot of kind of dithering with the background and the setup and right. so forth and so on. Um, you know, how long does it take to become proficient at really all these tasks? You know, it's, it's kind of interesting because we have some students, both majors in, in com arts and non-majors that are a part of our on-campus radio station here and, and that uh, take part in, in the opportunities to do podcasts and different audio productions and it's, it's so fascinating. And this is one of the passions of why I got into education was to see students really take in that knowledge and then just grow in it and just become their own. Um, and, you know, we all learn at our own pace, but, you know, it, it's, in my opinion, it's easier to understand audio production than it is video because you add a layer with, with the visual element. Um, but, you know, between the different projects and different assignments that we do, um, you know, one of the goals of our major is to uh, teach students industry standard things that they're going to be using, whether it's in radio or in video film, TV production. You know, we're teaching them the software that you can walk in and expect to see in an editing studio. We're teaching them the terminology that they're going to be using and, and the vernacular that you need to understand. Um, and students catch on pretty quick, which is pretty cool. And I think a lot of that is just the... Um, digital natives that they are you know i mean they're, they're growing up with technology students are using their phones and their cameras to capture videos create tiktoks whatever it is right um but now we're taking them back and saying okay here's what makes it look good here's what makes it sound good right and so that's it's a little different sometimes yeah. well it's been, been interesting obviously i mean you know as a child of the 80s yeah. so it's so I've seen the the, the the whole arc of it, yeah. and it uh, technology is really outpaced mm -hmm. I think anyone's mm -hmm. expectations, and it's because there's so many sort of tinkerers right, right. with things like YouTube, social media content, and you tool up to get better and more proficient, Absolutely. so you can drive more likes and you can get your messaging out there and mm -hmm. have build your platform essentially. Right. 
Um, but it is, you know, it's an impressive program that you built. Uh, and, and also some of your vision, um, your, you know, as you look into the future for, for CART, yeah. media production here on Kentucky Wesleyan's campus, what do you see? Yeah, you know, I think there, there's a lot of different opportunities here. Uh, we're one of the only communication programs in the region. Um, so so we, we serve a really unique population here with our major. And, um, you know, I, I look at opportunities for our students, whether it's in news journalism, in sports, or in public relations advertising. And one of the things that we encourage our students to do is do internships outside of the college or even within the college. Um, but, you know, in doing that, you look at areas that your students can serve and be a part of. And the Owensboro Davis County community is so engrossed in the arts that, that I feel there's an opportunity to really plug into opportunities in live production. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, we've got spaces that we could utilize here on campus even to where we can look at, you know, what, what does it take to do a, a live concert or what does it take to produce a, a live theater production or something like that, right? And so it, it serves a couple of purposes. One, it gives students real experience. And so, you know, sometimes that's unmatched at other programs that maybe don't have those connections or those affiliations with local community, you know, uh, programs or nonprofits, um, but then it, it also really is an extension of our service as a college. Uh, you know, we can offer things to our community that maybe other colleges can't or, or uh, makes it a little more difficult because it's, you know, the value that both the community places on Wesleyan here, but then Wesleyan then in turn reciprocates back to the community is huge. And that's one of the big things that drew me here to the college, but then also keeps, keeps me want to come back. Right. Well, and I'll tell you, one of the things that drew me to Kentucky Wesleyan College was the experiences that you're talking yeah, about, right? Yeah. And the ability, the uh, accessibility mm. of a program like CART to, right. to majors and non-majors alike. Yeah. So so larger schools, more competition mm-hmm. for spots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of those experiences are reserved for full-time majors yeah. in those programs. And only in their third or fourth year mm-hmm. would they, you know, possess the, the requisite skills, yeah. qualifications, but also they would have sort of proven themselves above their peers and, and be eligible for mm-hmm. some of those types of um, responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a place like Kentucky Wesleyan College, uh, you know, a student who's, who's a major can get immediately involved right. and invested in a process. Yeah. So if it's sports journalism or news journalism or it's podcasting or, mm-hmm. you know, any sort of radio production uh, at all. And that's, I mean, that's one of the most powerful things we can give students. It is, you know, and, and you know, I've, I've met with students that are looking to transfer in and, and they've been at a, another institution for you know, one or two years and, and they haven't had those experiences and they their eyes light up when they get, get to hear about, you know, things that they can do. And some of that too, you know, I, I think is obviously the opportunities, but then student motivation, you know, I mean, our students motivated themselves to plug in, get connected and find those communities. Um, and I think that's a big part of retention mm-hmm. is, you know, how can we get students integrated into clubs and organizations mm-hmm. and, you know, different things within our community here at the college that then makes it more difficult to leave. Oh, absolutely right. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, you want as many of those cross-campus connections as possible, and you also want those experiences that are really unique to, to campus mm-hmm. to really shine through. And, and that's what you provided to students here as a way for them to, you know, get into something yeah. that they have a passion for. Uh, and then, you know, I always make the argument that, that if, if a student is, finds a passion, uh, and, and, you know, everything else starts to line up and make mm-hmm, sense in mm-hmm. their in their program. So their, their writing improves, analytical skills improve, yeah. critical thinking improves, because it's all aligned around sort of an ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you give 
a really unique framework here yeah. for that. Um, part of what you do, and you do a lot at Kentucky Wesleyan College, we're very proud of you, but the, um, I want to talk about your disciplinary interests okay. in communications in, in particular. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and some of your writing is around a highly impactful, highly relevant topic of crisis communication mm, these mm. days. So I so saw a lot of that over the course of the last couple of years. Yeah. And uh, again, I mean, if you're following the sort of trajectory mm. of crisis communication, the evolution of it right. uh, as a discrete discipline within communications mm-hmm. and, and as a field that you need to hire specialists for right. to conduct your communication organization, um, you know, it's something that's certainly matured mm-hmm. over the last couple of decades, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's something that you've you published a lot about. You um, you focused mainly on um, professional sports and, mm-hmm. and baseball. Could you talk a little bit about first what 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 is crisis communication, um, and some of the effects and some of the things that that people might notice as being sort of crisis communication? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, crisis communication has been around, like you said, for, for a few decades. It really comes out of um, what we call image restoration and, and the idea of one of the big things that I talk a lot about in, in class is we try and present our best selves, right, as, as individuals in, in front of people. Um, but then when you look at it at an organizational level, we do the same thing, right? Organizations constantly want to put their best face forward. You never want to be negative in the public eye. And um, one of the big authors of crisis communication, Timothy Coombs, really kind of developed the theory of crisis communication and, and the scholarship out of image restoration and just how organizations in particular use communication in a way to address whether it's conflict within that organization or, you know, one of the big things that we looked at uh, recently was, was the issue of COVID and how you know organizations and, and different companies are addressing certain issues related to COVID in through crisis communication. So how are they communicating messages about you know what their business is doing, the steps that they're taking, and how they're keeping people, both employees but then consumers, safe within you know the, the COVID uh, nineteen pandemic? And it was really timely <laughs> that that all of this kind of came together. Um, you know, one of the things that I brought into my lectures over the last few years was the amount of emails that I got from companies, you know, just um, companies that you wouldn't even necessarily expect that type of communication from everything from physical stores, you know, like stores in the mall to restaurants that you eat at to um, colleges and, and campuses across the country. They're sending out email blasts to their, you know, solicitation lists that, you know, we're taking these following steps to ensure safety and, and things like that. And so, Which has to be sort of a, an evolution of crisis communication, right? Oh, it does, right? absolutely. Because, you know, I would, you know, m- my experience with it is, is sort of, you know, it works best if you don't know what's there. Right. Right. <laughs> so you're, you're, if, if there's a scandal, for instance, in mm-hmm. an organization or on a college campus or whatever, it's the sort of, you know, uh, the process and the steps by which um, an organization addresses the scandal right. and moves right. on quickly mm-hmm. to other stories. Yeah, you know, and... and uh, you know, one of the things is you, you try and prepare for any possibility that's out there, right? And so you kind of have a, 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 a file cabinet of, you know, here, here's the quick messages that we can send out, the A, B, and C, you know, right? But then the other big thing is, you know, how do we, how, how do we not necessarily control the message, but get ahead of the message so that we can possibly influence you know, what people assume and think is, is, is happening, right? And, and so that comes down to message strategy. You know, what, what media are you using? 
well, who your audience is, like we talked about earlier, um, and just understanding the content that needs to be shared with those audiences and the best way to get that message out. So how are you tracking your, your reputational value as an organization? How are you keeping, I mean, that's all seem anecdotal and sort of hearsay. Right, you know, and, and a lot of it really is, whether it's a catch-22, a, a, a good thing or a bad thing, necessary evil, whatever, you know, syllogism you want to use, but uh, a lot of it comes through social media analytics and understanding the use of hashtags and, and just corporate um, you know, how people are, are responding to those messages. Um, you know, we've seen companies and organizations try and jump on the bandwagon of hashtags or trying to create their own uh, verbiage on, on social media and see if it's going viral, tracking and things like that. Um, you know, a, a lot of it is just trying to understand the, the temperature of, of, your, of your community and, and, and how the community values or doesn't value your organization. But there's an extent to which you can't really control that, right? I mean, but, and there are some things that, you know, regardless of what happens to a, to an organization, an mm-hmm. institution, um, you're, you're really not going to, to hit it, that, that, that section of your audience that are the sort of diehards. And exactly. this is what you talk about in some of your work. Right. Um, yeah. Particularly to major league baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the, the research that, that I did most recently was looking at MLB's response to COVID and, and just kind of their, uh, approach to, you know, they were right in the middle of spring training when when the world kind of shut down. And so you go from one day, you know, the spring training facilities are jam-packed with fans to literally within 24 hours, they are postponing spring training, you know, and, and what type of message strategy comes from that? And how do you start to lay out the messages moving forward to where you don't upset fans, you don't upset players and coaches, right? And so uh, your owners and, and people that are, are invested financially into this league. And, and so there, there's a lot of different mes- message strategy that has to happen within the, the forms of whatever. Well, and it's interesting as you study this in real time, as it's evolving now with sort of maybe a year or two years uh, perspective, mm-hmm. uh, what do you think some of the lessons of this will be? Yeah. Um, you know, it was really interesting uh, because early on it, it, it appeared that major league baseball, and I think a lot of, organizations as a whole we're sending out almost weekly updates right here's here's the steps that we're taking here's what we're doing um, and then as, as we got deeper and deeper into the pandemic those became less um, and it, it became you know it was still relevant but it was almost like we have nothing to say mm-hmm. we have nothing new to present mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, and then as um, things started to open back up as the league started to allow more fans in you know, we started to see more uh, protocols, you know, message, messages about, you know, distancing and masking and things like that. And then you take a look at Major League Baseball this last year, it was pretty well open. You know, I mean, they, they had open stadiums, um, you know, not really any social distancing. And so it felt almost back to normal in some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely a lot that has kind of been digested about strategy and, and approach to message creation and mess, you know, media usage and, and specifically what media you use to target certain audiences. And did you choose Major League Baseball because you thought they were at the sort of cutting edge of, of this, the kind of evolution of, of crisis communication thought? It was really more of just the, the interest of sports, but then also the, the, the um, sports communication as a whole is a growing uh, field of research. And so there's a lot of, of research out there which really looks at public relations um, approaches in, in sports communication. 
Um, you know, image restoration, you look at scandals and things like that that have happened in, in all major sports, college sports and things like that, too. Um, so it was just really just an interesting, relevant, current topic to, to do some research mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, what, I, what I noticed, and obviously the, you know, the uh, NBA with the bubble, um, the uh, Major League Baseball really adapted and adjusted in some really unique ways. Yeah. Um, so, you know, extra inning games, there was an automatic runner on second base right. and uh, universal designated hitter rule and things of that I nature. I feel like Little League in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> But that, you know, just in terms of, and then, and then obviously to keep sort of uh, uh, fan interest going, which was, you know, if you take a hiatus and, right. and, and maybe this is a lesson learned from um, some of the lockouts and mm. some of the strikes, right? Um, if you, you take Major League Baseball sort of uh, out of the picture, mm-hmm. uh, literally for folks, and then it's hard to sort of restart uh, a year or two later. It is. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I, I wanted to get at in the research too, was, you know, I did a survey of, of audience of, of fans is what I called them. Right. And and so there was a couple of questions in there that identified whether or not you were a dedicated fan. Um, and, and so it was, you know, how many games you watch and how often you, you participate in, in, in sort of the viewing or, or attending games. Um, because for me, I wanted to see, would there be a change in habit for avid fans, right. Over this, like you said, hiatus, are they still considered an avid fan? Whereas the casual fan, uh, you know, I may watch a game or two here, so a, a season that doesn't happen, I'm not going to be that disappointed in, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's very, very interesting. And, and from what I saw, for the most part, the diehard fans of baseball, it wasn't discouraging that that this hiatus happened. Um, there was some dispute uh, early, about midway through the pause and I think some of that had to do with the restart, the players' uh, union negotiation going on. Uh, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes things that was happening, uh, you know, salary compensation. If we're only playing half a season, did we get paid for the full season type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And some of that was kind of negative impact on, on fans. But um, for the most part, fans were, were ready for baseball to come back and, and excited to see it. So is the idea that sort of, you know, outbalance or overproduce the, the good as opposed to the the bad story, you know, one negative story, you have to offset that. I, I think in some ways it, it, it is, you know, as, as, as far as crisis communication goes. But, you know, one of the strategies that I think was very unique to baseball and, and I think was, was kind of interesting to see, um, they would highlight, especially on their social media, that's where I, I went and saw a lot of the crisis communication was Facebook, Instagram, and, and Twitter. You know, how, how are they communicating through these um, technologies? Um, they would replay highlights of, you know, decades past, right? right? You know, right. big moments that happened on that date in history or, you know, would, would highlight, um, you know, Jackie Robinson Day or something like that. Did, and did so that work? It, it did. You know, it generated interest. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it sort of sustained that enthusiasm of fans. Um, fans were commenting and sharing and liking those posts, you know. And so, again, it was a, a strategy to keep fans in tune with with what's going on despite not playing live. so you have the sort of diehards and i'm interested in that profile of what a diehard is because yeah. I'm, I'm not i'm what you call a, a bandwagon gentleman. yeah yeah so if you know the sixers reach the eastern conference final <laughs> you know i've been watch, i've been right? a fan yeah. all year <laughs> right? um but so the two extremes the, yeah. the sort of the the very low you know loyal they'll go to you know 70 plus games mm-hmm. a year and then the the really casual right. person will put on a, a ball cap if their team is on on tv exactly right so so what you know where did you lose fans in that continuum you know a, a lot of it was uh, based on 
the 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 idea well specifically i i did not research the casual fan I, I, my my research was focused on the diehard fan and so there were upfront questions right at the beginning that eliminated what i would say casual fans you know that they only watch so many games or attend so many games right. uh because again the, the the idea of the research was to understand how this is affecting fans of baseball you know right. um and so um but it was interesting because you know, out of the, the so many surveys, there were some that after question three or four, they were gone hmm. because they consider themselves a casual fan. So it, it immediately did not interest them. And so the, the, the research or the study didn't, you know, contain their answers. Right. Uh, you know, so that, that to me was kind of interesting. Um, and, and I even had some some colleagues of mine that similar to you, casual fan, um, you know, and they said, you know, I, I didn't watch anything. I, it, I really didn't. Per- watch any sports because there wasn't sports going on, right. you know, during right. that time. Right. Right. And you fall out of that habit, right? right. And then you you're do. harder to get back. And so, absolutely. So, so the efforts are really put on that, you know, the, uh, the kind of meaty middle there. Right. right? Absolutely. I mean, and, and the diehards and, and everyone else who, who might have a tendency to, mm-hmm. to enjoy, you know, game, you know, in person right. at home, you know, frequently. So I want to talk about some other aspects of your, your research okay. here. Um, and I want to talk about social media mm. in particular and, uh, and social media use at a at a Christian college, yeah. uh, and see, that brings up a, a range of questions, right? <laughs> and I think institutions, organizations in general, um, have done have done a fair job in adapting to it. And this is really, it's, you know, it's it's uh, you know it's it's an area that's really fraught with mm-hmm. a lot of potential mm-hmm. issues um, because it is so organic right. as a communications tool. Um, but there are special challenges with the, the Christian liberal arts yeah. college. And, and what are some of those major challenges that you see? Yeah. So, you know, I think I think the big thing is understanding the media that you're using and the audience that's using it. Right. And so um, from a college perspective, you know, kind of a 10,000 feet look, um, you know, what are the messages that we're trying to create and who are our audiences that we're trying to target? Um, you know, we, we have external relations office that, that puts out press releases and communicates the various messages, the news and events of what's going on in college. Um, and that hits a certain market, right? Your traditional media, print, radio, TV. Uh, but then they also get generated on social media. But really, you know, understanding the makeup of social media usage. So if we're targeting prospective students, you know, does it do us well to post on Facebook or should we be using some of these newer Snapchat, TikTok and whatever is up and coming? Right. Um, If we're looking at alumni, should we be focused on LinkedIn? Should we be focused on Facebook, Twitter? You know, Uh, but then also beyond that, why? You know, one of the things that we look at as, as communication researchers is we call uses and gratifications theory why certain people use the media that they use and what gratifications they get out of that. So, you know, if you're an Instagram user, chances are you're a visual person because it's a visual medium. It's pictures and and video. If you're a Twitter user, you're, you want instant news. You want instant information. You're not necessarily caring about the visual elements. It's a very text-based medium. Facebook, you're probably older because <laughs> that's the generation that, that grew up with that. Um, but it, it's kind of a combination. There's visual elements, but it's still text heavy compared to Instagram, Snapchat and TikTok. Right. And so a lot of it, I think, is is understanding how to use a combination of this. We call it a media mix. Right. Uh, and, and how to 
get a similar message or even the same message out, but by using the different medias. Mm. And it's an evolving message. It right? is. Oh, it's man. a moving target. It so is. You know, what, 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 what media platform is most useful to hit whatever demographic and, and to achieve whatever goal right. that you have. And, and that's, you know, something like Facebook, you know, it's important to have goals. Right. With what <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, if it's so, so something is, you know, uh, as random as, uh, you know, uh, impressions, mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. you can generate tens of thousands of impressions yeah. and to what effect, right. Is, you know, um, are, is there, is there a metric in, in among the, the many that are offered right. um, that, that, you know, institutions, organizations should really focus on. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things that we look at is understanding how to use analytics to your benefit, you know, because every social media provides some form of basic analytical tool, and then sometimes you can pay for a deeper version of that. But really understanding what drives content um, and, and understanding your return on investment. I mean, ROI is a big term used in marketing and even you know, communication and advertising. But that looks vastly different with social media and internet marketing compared to traditional media. You know, you can spend thousands of dollars on a Facebook post, and honestly, thousands of people see it. Is that your end goal, right. or is the end goal to get them to click on it to advance to your website or to you know such and such sign up page or whatever it is? Right, right, right. And some of the best attempts, you know, to really gather intel on, you know, you know what what. Did you choose, you know, this college or exactly. this college or this this product over another product? Kind of misfires right. because you know I think the traditional model and correct me on this, but it is it's really one of those impressions. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. the idea is, you know, three or more impressions and exactly. it'll lock you in to buy a cup of coffee yeah. or you know this many impressions equals a sort of a, a warm lead, and then mm-hmm. you sort of you you're working on conversion of that lead and so right. on and so forth. But you know, it's really unreliable when it comes to social. It media. is, and, and you and you talk with students who are using the media and. You know, some of them don't even realize that they're seeing advertisements. You know, um, it, it, it's just we're so what we call information overload, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we just gloss over the the ads or we scroll right past them without really paying attention to what the content says or shows. And so can the, the theory, uh, the theories and, and can communications as a discipline, can it keep pace with the evolving technology mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, algorithms that are now involved in sort of generating you and keeping and sustaining you. Right. Interest. Yeah. You know, I think this is where communication research is right now is trying to better understand the digital approach to advertising, to communication strategies and things like that is, um, you know, gone are the days. And, and, and I'm more interested, honestly, as just a, a media user to, to think about and see the progression of traditional media and where that's going to be in five, 10 years. You know, the, the idea that used to be you and I would have to sit our butts down at seven o'clock to watch the primetime show mm-hmm. or we'd miss it. Right? And you're a captive audience through those commercial breaks. Exactly. Right? And now that's gone. Right. right. I mean, with streaming and with DVRs and with technologies like Netflix that drops the whole season mm-hmm. on one mm-hmm. day. Right. You know, what does that strategy mean for the traditional broadcasters that lay out a 24 episode season over the course of, you know, six months. You right. Know, is that strategy working anymore? You know, is, is the advertising dollars there? Uh, you know, and, and again, like your idea with the captive audience, are they scrolling through? Are they skipping through the commercials? Right. You know, where, where do we, where do we go? How right. Do we study that? Right. The idea of someone is a, just kind of a channel surfer. Right. Is disappearing rapidly, yeah, yeah. right? And, and you, you sort of pick a show, pick a season, and then just, and just watch go. as much as you can before. Right. You know, I mean, you've got, if you subscribe to cable or you subscribe to a streaming service, 
you got thousands of options as opposed to, you know, 30 years ago, it was 10 channels. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, I mean, as, as someone who's, you know, I, I remember the days before, you know, VHS right. cassettes, right? And, and video stores, obviously. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, you know, the occasional movie would pop up on, on, uh, you know, broadcast TV, right. the, one of the three channels that you get and you'd, you'd kind of record that. Uh-huh. And rent. Um, but it's, it's a different world now yes. and it's, you know, it is, it is so big and so expansive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, it seems, you know, fraught with difficulties in trying to design sort of a marketing strategy around any sort of product. Yeah. And, and what's fascinating is, you know, you would think, you know, with newer technologies like streaming and like podcasts that it's going to replace TV and, and radio listenership. What we've learned is that it's not. We're actually being even more fragmented into these uh, mediums. And so like the latest data showed that um, our media consumption increased over an hour over the last year. We're not replacing media, we're adding to it. Mm. And so, you know, instead of just watching TV, we're now watching TV, but then streaming. Instead of just listening to radio, we're listening to radio, but also adding podcasts. Is this among a certain demographic? This is 18 plus. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so what are you seeing in that, you know, sort of uh, the, the Gen Z population? Um, a lot of it is trending to the newer technologies, digital technologies. Um, so they're still listening to, to radio. They're still watching TV. But, you know, I think one of the questions, especially radio needs to be kind of self-reflective on is, you know, in the car, we're now just in that app. Right. I mean, if people are connecting their phones to the Apple CarPlay, to the Android Auto device on the dash, we now have to compete with Pandora, with Apple Music, with the music that's on their device. And so we no longer are the medium of choice. We're an app. Right. And so how do we how do we handle that? Right? Yeah, so pretend you're a consultant to any organization who's trying to sort of, you know, weave their way through yeah. these complex conversations how would you best how do you know how do you best plan for and prepare for and, and you know sort of operationalize a strategy you know, what each medium is unique and different you know I think one of the big benefits of traditional media in particular radio TV and, and even print even though it's declining is the idea of localism um, you know there's no one that can target your audience better than you when you live in that market and you understand that market and so whether it's your newscasters, your DJs, your personalities, whoever it is, they can talk about what's going on in your community like no one else can, right? And so the syndicated shows don't know who's playing down at the local venue, who's the the team that, that supports your area, right? And so localism becomes so vital and important for traditional media to succeed. Um, as far as the digital media, uh, a lot of that is just being relevant and current with your message. Um, you know, there's nothing worse than having a stale message that's not changed over the last two weeks, right? I mean, you'd need constant communication for people to return to your site, to return to your social media, whatever it is, so that they continue to stay engaged and relevant to, to your message. So again, as with crisis communication, is it a question about you know, volume over sort of, you know, quality? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, you, you need a, a sound message you need to understand your message and who your audience is um, but th- there is a, a degree of being consistent with that message right and so um, and, and I think each social media is unique and different Twitter is constantly updating and so you have to continue to update that hourly right I mean there's multiple messages a day Facebook you could probably get away with with once a day once every other day something like that right I mean it's it's just the algorithms that go into play 
the types of content that's there, the way the users use that media is, is different. And so, um, but you, you have to have a coherent, relevant message or your audience still doesn't engage. So talk about that quality for a second. And, and in terms of sort of maxing out your, your potential quality that you can put into something that's watchable and viewable, obviously things that, that, that go viral right. might not be of the highest quality, but they're impactful <laughs> right. to some degree. Yeah. Um, so, so is there, is there sort of a threshold of, of quality in, in terms of production? You know, I think there is. And some of this too is the idea that content or, um, you know, the, the technology has, have been, we're able to, the, the average consumer is able to produce good looking content, right? I mean, we can subscribe to audio video editing software on our phones even and create content that looks relatively well produced, you know? And so the ease of use, uh, I think makes it better for, for consumers. Um, but there's something to be said for that viral video of just some random person, right? That just shoots their camera and, and they catch something so funny that you can't right. plan for that. Right? right. I mean, that just spontaneity just, just makes it a, a relevant message. Right. Um, you know, but I, I think there is an element of planning and, and, and careful message strategy that has to go into, um, you know, the, the, whether it's social media marketing or your advertising messaging on traditional media too, you know, tell your story. That that's right. the big thing that we try right. and tell our students is what is your story, and tell that story unlike anybody else can. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why things go viral, right? right? I yeah. mean, and, there, and and studying that and understanding <laughs> the viral nature of, of communications right. is, is is interesting. Talk about um, some of the things that you are interested in, in you know, in the future of studying, researching some future publications. Yeah. So um, my my interest obviously are in sports and communication. That that's a major interest, but then also um, religion and media. Um, I'm fascinated in just the history of, of religion and media, you know, the Bible being the most mass produced literature piece of literature in, in history. Uh, you look at, uh, the history of, of media religion has consistently been on the forefront of technology change from, from print to printing tracks to the mass produce of the Bible to cable TV, you know, getting specials on there. Um, to even digital technology, one of the big things that that's a current research interest of myself and colleagues is how churches are adapting to um, online services. Mm -hmm. You know, because being forced to through COVID, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, there is now an audience for online worship. Is it possible to have the same type of setting in an mm -hmm. online venue mm -hmm. as opposed to being in person? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what does that do to church attendance? What does that do to church giving? Um, you know, how does that affect small groups? So there's, there's a lot of different, you know, arms that come out of that, that single topic. Right. And with, with every single one of these sort of these changes, you have to, you know, becomes a, it becomes more and more important to sort of be more introspective about the qualities right. that drive yeah. communication and, Absolutely. and drive, say, church attendance. Yeah. What are people there for? What right. do they, what do they expect out of the experience and how much of that experience can you, or should you try to duplicate exactly in another medium in, in a and uh, what other qualities are there in that mm -hmm. same experience that can be mapped on to right you know social yeah. media and what's fascinating is i mean if you really look at it that the churches now are becoming some of the most live produced events in the country um and so you know still we, we have news and, and things like that but you know you look at the weekly services you look at the productions that a large a lot of large churches do for their kids ministry, their youth ministry, 
it's very involved, you know, multi-camera. Some of them do uh, short vignettes for mm. sermon series. Some of them do, um, you know, highlight videos and things like that. And so the content creation that's being produced out of religious organizations, it, you know, rivals some of the uh, broadcast TV and even film industry to some degree. Mm. Um, you look at uh, some of the most successful recent religious films, and, and they're good quality. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not cheesy religious undertones. It's it's a good um, message tied with really good editing and, and production value. Well, and this brings to mind a, another question I want to ask about who's really setting the trends with regards to technology, video production, the quality, the the outreach, the kind of strategizing. What what organizations, what industries do you see really leading that? There, there's a lot that's just working in tandem. You know, um, I was reading an article the other day that. They're, they're mass producing or they're getting ready to mass produce 16K TVs. The average American doesn't have 4K yet, mm. right? And so at what point do we go, okay, we need to slow down the advancement of technology because our consumers aren't buying mm. that, that up as much, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something to be said with the advancement of technology, the ease of, 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 of digitization of media, um, you know, being able to pick up your phone, watch a show, um, but then take it to your TV, you know, when you get home. And, and right. so the consumer's driving that that need for immediacy of, of media, but the technology's there as well to, to be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. Dr. Andrew Boland, thank you so much. Absolutely. It's been fascinating. Really appreciate your thank time you. today. Appreciate it. All right.